Shabbat Shalom, it's good to see you. Good to be here with you. If you found the notes, they should be there on your table as we start this portion uh, tonight called Echev, and it means on the heel of or because. So it's also, the word there is actually related to Yaakov, Jacob. You know, he was called the heel grabber, but that word also can mean because. It's it's an interesting um, Hebrew word, Uh, but that's where this Torah portion gets its uh, name. And so here in Deuteronomy, it starts in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12. We're going to march through this. and it's, once again, I just get excited about the Word of God, amen? Uh, it's, it's, it's actually, it's amazing, and I uh, just love studying it and talking about it. So here in verse, uh, let's just look at the first two verses here, uh, 12 and 13. And we're going to see a theme throughout this whole Torah portion that is extremely important, and Susan's already touched on it. It says, and it shall be because you hear these right rulings and shall guard and do them that Yahovah, your Elohim, shall guard guard with you the covenant and the kindness which he swore to your fathers. I highlighted that. By the way, I'm giving you these for you to make notes on and hold on to. So I strongly suggest, and I almost never put a lot of notes in here if you ever noticed. It's just verses. Um. But uh, so make notes. If you like to go ahead and jot it down in your Bible, that's fine. I used to really freak out about that. But um, anyways, so I've highlighted it here and I do it electronically as well. Um, and the part here that I highlighted was that uh, if you will guard and do these things, that Yahovah your Elohim will guard you with the covenant and kindness. Now listen to this, which he swore to, his, to your fathers. Now this is extremely important if you're ever going to understand your Bible. We're going to get into this at Sukkot. Um, A lot of my book leaks out every week. So hopefully you're catching on to a lot of this stuff. But he says the reason he's doing this is because I swore this to your fathers. And that theme is going to come up a lot in this Torah portion. Now, I also gave you some notes right here that I copied out of an electronic book that I have in my library. I've got over 3,000 volumes in this electronic library that I've got. And you'll notice down here at the bottom that it's called Walk Deuteronomy. Now, this guy has one for each of the five books in the Torah. And these are like the main points in this section. Um, And this is just right out of the book. I thought it was really good. It really summarizes this whole Torah portion. And I also wanted to give the book and books a plug. If you would like to find a set of books that aren't expensive, each one of these, I didn't even know you could get it at Amazon. I get it through my logo software, and I just bought it, and, you know, yeah, I it's, it's too easy. Um, but Amazon has all of these books. There's one for each of the five books in the Torah. They're all called Walk, Genesis, or Exodus, or, or whatever. Uh, it goes through the Torah portions. Uh, it's got background studies, and it's got just a plethora of information in there. You can get them at Amazon, and none of them, I think, are over 15 bucks. Uh, matter of fact, I think uh, one of them was like $11. Uh, they're 12 13 I think one of them might have been 15 bucks. Anyhow, this is just right out of the book. 
the link or whatever for it is right there on the page, and you can find them at Amazon. So that's just a suggestion that if you'd like to have some resources, and I'm going, and I use it. I use it every week along with all the other stuff that I'm using, but it's one of the books that I do pull up and I do use it as a resource. So if you would just like to have a really good resource, I would suggest it for you. All right, enough of that plug. You jump down to Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 17. And this is where we're going to start to see this theme that goes all through this section. And we touched on it last week. We're going to see it over and over and over again. It's all through Scripture. Now, in, in verse 17, it says, When you say in your heart, these nations that are greater than I, I am unable to drive them out. He says, do not be afraid of them. Then here it is. Highlight this. Remember well what Yahovah, your Elohim, did to Pharaoh and to all in Mitzrayim. That's the Hebrew word for Egypt, which means burden. Um, and so he said, remember well. You need to remember. Our biggest problem is that we forget. We have short memories, and we're very self-centered. Uh, and so that's why he said, where are the zit seats and all these other things that he's told us? Just to help us remember, because we just forget. So he says, remember well what Yahovah, your Elohim, did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt, Mitzrayim, the great trials which your eyes saw. See, some of these people that he's talking to, came, they were alive. They were kids, teenagers. Uh, some of them late teenagers up until the age of 20 at this point. So 20 and below is the generation that, that he's now talking to because everybody else has died in the wilderness. Um, and so they saw this. These are kids that were, these are adults that were teenagers and walked through the split Red Sea. So he's like, you need to remember, you saw this and you need to remember what God did. When you go in there and you think you can't, kick these people out. You need to remember whose you are and the God that you serve, what He did. You didn't do anything. He did all the work. That's the big point. They didn't do anything. They just watched. They were obedient with the blood at Passover. Other than that, I mean, you know, they just did what He said, and then they were able to leave Egypt. And He's reminding them of that. So then it says in verse 19, with great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and wonders, the strong hand and the outstretched arm by which Yahovah your Elohim brought you out. Yahovah your Elohim does so to all peoples of whom you are afraid. He already knows they're afraid. Why? They already went in once and said we can't do it. That's why they died in the wilderness. Their dads said we can't go. So they ended up dying in the wilderness. This is a 38-year delay by this time. So it's in verse 20, it says, And Yahovah, your Elohim, also sends the hornet. Some of your translations will say a plague. But in the Hebrew here, the concept is these hornets. Among them, until those who are left, who hide themselves from you, are destroyed. Do not be afraid of them, for Yahovah, your Elohim, the great and awesome El, which is short for God, is in your midst. I've listened to this once again. I'm listening to Deuteronomy just constantly while, I'm, while we're going through this. And I was driving around the other day, actually from my house up in here in the Roy City area, and it was playing. And I'm listening to that going, uh, and your God will send the hornet. 
Anybody here other than me just have an issue with hornets and wasps? Um, and especially that beloved one called the yellow jacket. Or paper wasp. That's the more correct term, paper wasp, the yellow jacket. I'll go ahead and tell you I hate those suckers. they got to be demon-possessed. You walk by... You don't even have to do anything. You know what I'm talking about. And man, the wings come up and they're looking at you like, you just do one thing wrong, dude, and we're coming. And I mean, they will attack you for no reason, right? I'm driving by, and I mean, I've got cases almost of wasp spray around my house because they're just everywhere. I'm like, why? You know, I don't know what the deal is. But I'm driving around and that verse hits and I went, ooh. That would be really bad. I mean, for God to send hornets after you. Not one, not one nest, but an army of them. Or maybe it would be Air Force. The Air Force of the Yellow Jackets coming to, you know, sting you to death. I mean, and they just don't stop, do they? They just, and just sting you for no reason. You're out there, and all of a sudden you get zapped. You're like, I'm just standing here. Um, it made me think, I mean, and that's what God does. He's like, you know, you guys are so powerful. You think you're so powerful? I'll destroy your army with a bug. And you'll be helpless. I'll send enough of them in there to jam up your machines, and then when you come out, you're going to think you've already died and gone to hell. I mean, it's just going to be horrible, right? Uh, He says, because he says that's what he'll do. He says, you're afraid of that giant? You're afraid those giant clans? I'll send hornets for crying out loud. Just hide and watch. He says, you need to remember what I did to Egypt. Remember what he did? Sent the locusts and the hail and the lice. And the frogs turn the water into blood and on and on and on. Um, he goes, you need to trust me. Turn the page and go with me now to page two. It says in Deuteronomy chapter seven. Now we skip down to verse 25. It says, the carved images of their mighty ones, their gods, you are to burn with fire. Do not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest it be a snare for you. Look at this. For it is an abomination to Yahovah your Elohim, and do not bring an abomination into your house, lest you be accursed like it. Utterly loathe it and utterly hate it, for it is accursed. What did Achan do as soon as they go over there? getting ahead of myself, they cross over there and he steals some of the plunder, puts it in his tent. A bunch of them get killed. God goes, what did you do? You need to find out what's going on. Um, So I want you to see something here because it says the carved images of the, the idols of their gods, you are not to desire it. And then look at, because we're so rational, aren't we? Aren't we rational human beings, right? Well, you know, I mean, hey, it's look at the gold and the silver that's on it. I mean, that's worth something, right? But what if we, we could take that and we could melt it down and make something good out of it? Isn't that what we would say, right? Because, I mean, after all, an idol's not anything, and it's just wood or stone. But, man, these idiots put gold on it. So we could just take the gold off of it, and, you know, we'll make something 
we can make it for God. Right? We'll make temple coins out of it. God will like that, right? Doesn't that just sound like us and what we've been doing for 2,000 years now? Right? We've been doing it left and right constantly. This is not the message to get into all that, but we've been doing it. Look at what God says. He goes, they're carved images, don't desire it, and I know how you are. So the gold or silver that's on it, don't desire that. Why? Because it's an abomination to God. It's just gold. We're going to scrape it off, melt it down, make a good coin out of it. God, we'll put your, you know, we'll, we'll say it's for the temple. We'll put a menorah on it. I know you don't want your image on it. So we'll put a menorah on it. That'll be good, right? What does God say? It's an abomination. Why? Because it was attached to these other fallen deities, these fallen gods that are his mortal enemies that are nothing more than, well, technically they're not really demons, but that's a term we can understand. You, you, you following me? And he says, because it was attached to that and all the stuff they did, it's an abomination to me. Don't even scrape it off, melt it off, and try to do something good with it. If you do, you become attached to it. And I've destined it for destruction. Hmm. Can anybody other than me kind of go, uh-oh? Because I think that relates to anything else, right? I mean, if we're trying to worship God with pagan practices and we think He's okay with that, because, I mean, after all, now we got Jesus, we got grace, we don't need that. I mean, it doesn't matter anymore. God will be happy with it. He's not. It's, it's insanity. All right, let me go on. I'm going to jump now into Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, Guard to do every command which I command you today, that you may live and shall increase and go in and shall possess the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers. There it is again. It's because you're going to go in and you're going to possess the land that God swore to our ancestors. And you shall remember that Yahovah, your Elohim, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you guard His commands or not. That word there for guard means keep. The word keep, when it says to keep His commands, it means to guard it, means to elevate it and make it authoritative in your life. Okay? Uh, he humbled you and let you suffer hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, to make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of Yahovah. So he says, listen, I know you were going to get hungry and you're going to bellyache. I let you get hungry. Because I needed you to know, I needed you to learn something, and I had to make you learn it. I needed to make you learn that you don't live by bread alone, but you live in, and you'll notice here that this word, word, is an italics. That's because the actual Hebrew meaning of that is not necessarily word, but everything. Everything that comes out of God's mouth, that's what we live on. It's not just words. It's 
It's the essence of God. That that's what we live on. Not what you put in your stomach for what you think of as food. And he said, I needed to make you learn that. It's, it's, those are hard lessons, aren't they? Anybody here other than me have a few hard lessons where God said, I'm just going to have to get your attention. Those are not fun, are they? Um, and we try to say, I don't want to learn that one again. Right? Uh, I want to try to make sure I learn that one. I want to pass the test. I got it. He had to do that with them and had to do it for 30 years. Why? Because you know what? They're going to forget. <laughs> so it says, um, I made you hungry so that you would know that man doesn't live by bread, bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Anybody ever hear that before? It's in Matthew 4.4. 4. Well, did you notice that in Matthew 4.4, 4, Yeshua is in the wilderness and he's hungry. That's when... Satan, Hasatan, that's when he shows up. Well, if you really are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread and, you know, and prove yourself to be God. And so what does Yeshua say? It is written. You're not getting it, are you? I'm God in the flesh. I'm not going to go against my own word. It is written, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Um. Let's just move on. You get to verse 11. It says, be on your guard lest you forget. There it is again. And then once again, I've tried to highlight these, but you might want to do it yourself too. I've got it in yellow on mine. Maybe put some circles around it. Be on guard lest you forget. Yahovah, your Elohim. Look at this. By not guarding His commands and right rulings and His laws, which I command you today, Lest you eat and be satisfied and build lovely houses and shall dwell in them and all your herds and your flocks increase and your silver and your gold are increased and all that you have is increased, that your heart then becomes lifted up and you forget Yahovah your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim from the house of bondage. I want you to see here, so how is it that we can forget God? He tells us. I'm going to show you how you're going to forget me. The way you're going to forget me is you're not going to guard my words, my commands. Which we've been told for at least 1,700 years now don't apply to us Christians. Is it any wonder that way too many believers today are self-centered? Because we even go to church, typically, to get something out of it and to get our feel-good stuff. And if you pray this way, then God will do this. And if you do this, then God will do that. And it's all centered on what we're going to get out of it. Instead of serving Him to glorify Him. And He said, so here's what's going to... You need to be careful, be on guard, and guard my word. And if you guard my word, you won't forget me. You need to be careful when you get in there and you're living the life of luxury and you got all this stuff going on and you haven't guarded my word and you're going to forget me. Lest you forget Yahovah your Elohim by not guarding His commands. There it is right there in verse 11. So then you get down to verse 19... And it says, and it shall be if you by any means forget Yahweh your Elohim. 
right? I'm just like, I'm going to tell you how, but then you're going to try to figure out a way around this, right? So I, let me even just make it so generic. We can't, you can't get around this, right? So he goes, by any means, you forget Yahovah, your Elohim, and Father, follow other mighty ones, other gods, and serve them, and bow yourself to them. I have warned you this day that you shall certainly perish. Like the nations which Yahovah is destroying before you, so you are to perish, because you did not obey the voice of Yahovah your Elohim. There it is. You didn't guard my commands. You didn't obey my voice. You're going to go in there. You're going to serve these other gods. Now pay attention. I'm going to drive out these people from before you. When you do what they're doing, I'm going to drive you out. Now it gets into explaining some things here in, uh, in chapter 9. Because he spends a lot of time in here, remind, it, he keeps going over all this stuff. He's reminding them of where they've been, what they've done. You need to remember, remember what you did. Remember how we, how we got here is to keep going over this stuff and reminding them. So then he goes, <clears throat> in chapter 9, he says, Do not think in your heart after Yahovah your Elohim has driven out them uh, driven them out before you, saying, "Because of my righteousness, Yahovah has brought me in to possess this land." He goes, "Don't think that." He goes, "But it is because of the wrong of these nations." You better not start thinking. Well, it's because of your own self righteousness. It's because you're so good. We've never done that, though, have we? We've never thought that we were so smart as a Christian. Now watch this. And we've never thought, because now we understand or we're trying to understand Torah, well, at least I was smart enough to accept that part. Easy. Easy. Because Scripture's clear. It says at the end of time, God's going to whistle for us Gentiles and we'll return to Him and He'll reveal this stuff to us. So be very, very careful. Man... If it wasn't for God's grace and mercy, we would be hell-bound right now. Everyone in this room, amen? So he says, be careful. Don't think in your heart this stuff. He says, it, uh, it is, but it is because of the wrong of these nations that Yahweh is driving them out before you. Now look at this. It is not. Now he's going to be explicit. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go into possess their land. But because of the wrong of these nations that Yahovah, your Elohim, drives them out before you. Now watch this. What, what are, we're supposed to read our Bible what? In what? Read it in context, which means you have to keep reading. Pay attention to what he says. Now he's going to tell us the why. The why to all of it. Because we first start thinking, okay, well, he's going to do that. because Well, they're bad. They're evil, mean, nasty people. So he's going to go and he's going to drive them out. He's going to kill those people. In other words, you do this, God kills you. You do this other, and then God lets you live. That's just how simple, we're just simple-minded. God's right here going to tell us why He's really doing all this. This is the underlying current on all of this stuff. He goes, listen, <clears throat> again in verse 5, He says that Yahovah, your Elohim, drives them out before you. Look at this. 
in order to establish the word which Yahovah swore to your fathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, or Isaac and Jacob. What's he saying? I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob I was going to do it, and I was going to do it here. These are bad people worshiping deities that rebelled against me, my mortal enemies, and they're worshiping them. Their sheer acts means they deserve to be killed and run out of the territory. But the real reason I'm doing all of this with you, Israel, is because I'm establishing my word that I spoke. You really need to circle that, put an asterisk by it, a star by it, remember it. This is huge. Huge. God is proving that, he's, that He is God by, us, by doing what He said He would do. We get so caught up in our little personalized individualistic world, you know, God's all, He's thinking about me, thinking about me, thinking about me. No, He's thinking about Him. And he's invited us into that glory, amen? Um, and then look at this in verse 6, it says, And you shall know that Yahovah your Elohim is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. Why? Because you know what? You're stiff-necked. Verse 7, remember, do not forget how you provoke the wrath of Yahovah your Elohim in the wilderness. There he goes again. You're going to go in there and think you're all that. From the day you came out from the land of Mitzrayim, Egypt, or bondage, until you came to this place where we're standing right now, you've been rebellious. They've been doing it the whole time. They're going to go over there, and then they are going to forget, and they are going to get proud. If you think we... Christians, whatever you want to call yourself in the year 2018, we're the ones that have got this, we've got this all wrapped up about, about being self-centered. Everybody has. Everybody's been so self-centered. I mean, Catholics, Jews, Protestants, all of us. Man, it's just all about us. You read, you get into some of their stuff. Uh, you know, I was reading in some of my uh, Hebrew commentaries and stuff, and they're literally... They'll come right out and say, well, yeah, we're the, basically the supreme race and all the Gentiles were created to serve us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, really? Well, I was reading in your Bible, and that's not what it says. <laughs> um, and then, anyways, everybody has done that. So before we get so judgmental of them, we were told in Scripture what's happened to the fathers, It'll happen to us. It was written down for our instruction to teach us. <clears throat> so uh, he said, you've been rebellious against Yahovah since the very beginning. And they're going to go in and do exactly what God said was going to happen. Now watch this. You get to chapter 10. I know I jumped, but because he's still going to, he's doing a lot of reminiscing of how they were rebellious. You get to chapter 10, and this is fascinating. In chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, it says, At that time, 
Yahweh said to me, Hew for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain, and you shall make yourself an ark of wood, the ark of the covenant, you know, the, the raiders of the lost ark covenant thing. Uh, you shall make for yourself an ark of wood. So who made it? Moses made it. Uh, and write on the tablets the words that were on the first, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made the ark of the acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hand, and he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing. There's debate on that if the he is talking about Moses or God, and most people believe it was God that wrote it. Moses cut out the tablets, took it up there, but God wrote on it just like he did the first time. Uh, the ten words, what we know as the Ten Commandments, which Yahweh spoke to you on the mountain in the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly when Yahweh gave them to me. So he's like, remember when we heard the shofar, we heard the voice of God, everybody got scared, had the ten words, I got the tablets from him, I go up on the mountain, I'm up there 40 days, what do you idiots do? You make the golden calf, I got mad, I threw them down, broke them, ground up the calf, made, put it in the water, made you drink its bitterness, all this. Had to go back up on the mountain again. You know, I had to make, <laughs> I had to make the tablets this time and climb up the mountain carrying the tablets this time. Up there and God writes on them and everything and he comes back down. So he says, uh, verse 5, And I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark, which I had made, and there they are as Yahovah commanded me. Reading this and studying this, it was like one of those eureka moments where you go, what? Really? So God gave his law at Mount Sinai and man broke it. Spiritually and physically. Then God had a man make the tablets, take it back to God, and God wrote it a second time and put it in the ark where it is to this day because no one knows where it is, supposedly. Kind of sounds like Jeremiah 31, 31. I don't have that on your notes, but you might want to write that down. Jeremiah 31, 31 is the new covenant. Quoted in Hebrews, I think chapter 8. <clears throat> Everybody goes, Well, yeah, we live in the new covenant. You know, it's the new covenant under Christ, blah, 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 you know, and the old covenant's passed away and all that. And he tells us in Jeremiah 31 31 what the new covenant is. This is the new covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Judah and the house of Israel, where I will take my law and I will write it on their hearts. But he didn't change the law, the only thing he changed was where he wrote it. The next time he's going to write it on their hearts. Hidden in our heart. But the contents didn't change. There's nothing in your Bible by accident. God has mapped out everything because his story and his workings with us is always consistent. He doesn't change. He told us in the Old Testament, I do not change so that my servant isn't consumed. 
why in the New Testament he even says, with God, there's not even a shifting shadow, James tells us. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Period. And we've been hearing all along, well, he's the same, but he's not the same. He's the same, but he changed. He's the same, and he still has the same law, but he changed the law. It's like you're talking to a wall. or It's just weird, isn't it? And so anyways, I just thought that was fascinating. I thought that was really fascinating. I thought it was pretty cool. It was like, so he's given us the story here again that he's got his law. We're going to mess up, but he's going to write it again, but he's going to write it and hide it, but he's not going to change it. I thought that was pretty cool. You go down to verse 12 and it says, And now, Israel... What is Yahovah your Elohim asking of you? Wouldn't you ever like to know, okay, well, what is it that God really wants me to do? Right? So he's like, they've been get, we've already been through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Been through Leviticus, you know, with all that sacrificial stuff and all these rules and regulate, all, all those things. And Moses is now like, okay, so now what is it, Israel, that God really wants you to do? Well, I mean, what? Can we sum this up? Yeshua summed it up, right? What is it that he says? So what is it that Yahovah your Elohim is asking of you? But to fear Yahovah your Elohim, to walk in all of his ways, to love him and to serve Yahovah your Elohim with all your heart and with all your being. To guard the commands of Yahovah and his laws, which I command you today, hmm, for your good. He said, that's what he's asking. He's just asking it to love him and serve him with all your heart and guard his word. Would you allow somebody to go around town saying that your wife or your child or your brother or your sister said some inflammatory thing that they didn't say? Wouldn't you speak up against that? Well, don't you think we're like, that's not what God said. That's why, that's why he has such strong rules about false prophets. That if a false prophet comes up, even if he has miracles, but he's telling you to follow other gods and stuff, and I didn't say that, he literally says, don't repeat what he says and stone him. God doesn't play around with us saying that he said something when he didn't say it. Because it makes him out to be a liar. What did we just... And this is fundamental in you in understanding your Bible. That he was doing these things with Israel, with those nations, because he's going to confirm the word that he promised to, his, to, the, to the ancestor, our ancestor, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Huge. Verse 14, see the heavens and the heaven of heavens belong to Yahovah your Elohim, also the earth and all that is in it. Yahovah delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, you above all peoples as it is today. God literally decided, I'm going to love Israel. He's telling them, it ain't because you're all that, because you're stiff-necked, rebellious, hard-hearted, you ticked me off, but I chose to love you, 
to put my love and grace and mercy on you, to bless you, to call you mine. All I'm asking is that you love me in return and follow my word and guard my word and honor me. I'm going to do all these other things. It gets really interesting as we continue on. Turn the page. And it says, And you shall circumcise the foreskin of your heart and harden your neck no more. Anybody ever hear that phrase before? It's called the Apostle Paul. For Yahovah, your Elohim, is Elohim of the mighty. It's saying God is the God of gods, the Lord of all lords. The great El Elohim, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. If you ever thought you could butter up God, right? Didn't we just look at this not long ago when Moses said, starts buttering up God, you know, trying to get out of not being able to cross over, and God goes, zip it. Don't talk to me about this again. Drop it. You're not going in. Moses can't butter him up. You and I can't butter up God. He shows no partiality and he doesn't take bribes. But he is our God. He's a good God, a holy God, and he loves you. That's good news, amen? He says he executes right ruling for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and a garment. You shall love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Mitzrayim. Fear Yahovah your Elohim, serve him and cling to him, and swear by his name. How are you going to swear by his name if you don't know what his name is? It's not Lord. We've been over this. Because that's the same word as Baal which means master or husband, lord of the house, king of the house. So when we say, you know, and it's hard to get out of it. I mean, I've been saying it since I can remember. It's very hard to get that out. But his name is, I believe, I believe Nehemiah is right, and I believe it's Yahovah. I think that's pretty close. Um, it's not Baal. It's not Lord. It's not God. It's not king. It ain't the man upstairs. He has a name, and it's specific. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that created the heavens and the universe. Brought his people out of Israel. It's that God. And he's not the same as any other wannabe God. I got one nope out of this group. He's not the same as any other of those other wannabe gods. That's a little better. <laughs> Y'all scared me. Make me think I need to start over. <laughs> Uh, he said, so fear Yehovah, your Elohim, serve him, cling to him, and swear by his name. He is your praise. Hmm. That is good, isn't it? Well, we sure like bragging about ourselves, don't we? Number one conversation, me, 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 me. Right? He is your praise. He is your Elohim who has done these great things for you and awesome deeds which your eyes have seen. So he says, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to circumcise your heart. Well, I thought that was something Paul came up with. You see, Paul knew his Bible. 
That's why I gave it to you here in Romans chapter 2. It says, so if a man uh, who is circumcised, uncircumcised, keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as... Anybody ever read this passage before and go, what in the world? You mean you're talking circles around me. I can't figure out what in the world you're saying. That's why Peter said that Paul is hard to understand. He's talking about people that aren't circumcised but are keeping the precepts of the law. So he's basically saying, will God not honor that? Of course He will. He says, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Meaning you look good as far as having the marks on you to be a Jew. But you're breaking the very word of God that God said. Therefore, technically, well, you're not even a Jew. He goes on. He says in verse 28, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. It's a, it's a mark. It's the same as this. If I wear this and I don't try to keep God's law, then I'm making this and me a mockery and a liar. And it doesn't matter if you've been baptized, dunked, marked, tattooed, circumcised, whatever. You either wear your, long, your hair long or you shave it or like me, I'm doing both. <laughs> you know, shave what little bit is up here, letting this grit. But that doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean anything. He said, what matters is what's going on in your heart. That's what God's always been after. That's why he said, this is what I want. I want you to love me. I want you to keep my word. I want you to guard my word. I want you to guard my honor. I want you to guard my name. I want you to proclaim that I am the one true God. That's what I want. So Paul is basically saying the same thing. He says, verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision, what? Is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. I grew up and went to school hearing, this is Paul saying we don't need to follow the law, that circumcision doesn't matter anymore, and if you get circumcised, you're trying to please men. That was the definition I was given. That's typical Christian doctrine on that. It's wrong. It's not reading it in context. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says... For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but what? Keeping the commandments of God. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, And by this we know that, if we come, that we've come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. We don't, come, we don't keep His commandments and then claim ownership. We keep Him because we love Him. It's an outward sign. That's it. You continue on in Deuteronomy 11. It says, this is where it's talking about the land. And what you have to remember is, He's talking to the Israelites about them going in and possessing the land. And when you do these things and possessing the land there as a group, then I'm going to do all these things blessing you. You, you following that? You know what we do because we're so self-centered? So what this means is, if I keep the Torah here in Roy City, I'm going to have a lot of sheep on my house. I raise sheep. 
and I'm never going to run out of gas. I'm never going to run out of fuel, and it's always going to rain at my house. Yeah, like I wish it was raining right now. Um, Because we want to personalize it and make it about me personally. Does that mean that God's not going to bless you? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that these passages are talking about the group of people called Israel going into the land, doing what he said properly, and then he said, I'm going to use you as a light to the nations when you as a group do this. You following me? This is where a lot of people that are keeping Torah focus on the wrong thing. I don't know if you know that or not, but it's actually a grave danger. It becomes, you know, Torah, 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 Torah. People turn into Torah terrorists. And then it's a term. Seriously. It become Torah terrorists. And then we, you need to be doing this, and you need to be doing this, and you need to be doing this, and you need to be doing this. And you know, and if you do this and do this and do this, then God's going to bless you. And I've talked to a lot of people that have been t- keeping Torah, and then they're like, I can't figure out how, why we're still suffering. I'm not joking. I'm like, well... Because we're rebellious and self-centered and we should never do anything simply to get something. We should be doing this because we love Him. And, and, and everybody's, oh, but, but I do, but I do. I'm like, well, I understand, but we're self-centered. We I can't be the only one that's ever been and still fights being self-centered. Me, 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 my problems. God, come down here and fix my problem. Um, so <clears throat> he's saying that this is about the heart, and that's what he's after. So you get to Deuteronomy chapter 11, and it's about them going into the land, and he says, this is amazing. It's another one of those, you know, is that, it, who put that in my Bible? Anybody other than me and Zach say that when you're reading these Old Testament passages? Like, what? Really? There's, there's another one in here that's just, I hope you're also going to go, huh? If you haven't already read this and studied it, you should have. But Verse 12, it says, A land which Yahovah your Elohim looks after, the eyes of Yahovah your Elohim are always on it. What are his eyes on? We're going to practice our Bible studies for Sukkot. What are his eyes always on? The land. land. How did you say it? His land. His land. From the beginning of the year to the latter end of the year, and it shall be that if you diligently obey my commands, which I command you today, to love Yehovah your Elohim, to serve Him with all your heart, with all your being, then I shall give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain. Anybody ever hear people and Christians, you know, claiming that promise? Right? Going to give us those latter rains. Going to give us those latter rain. And you shall gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. So he says that his eyes are always on the land because that's where he's taken, that's where he took Israel and where he has started taking them back to right now. Now, remember what we talked about last week when I said everything in your Bible from Genesis literally to Revelation 
is this love story of God raising up a nation out of Abraham to prove that he's God. You get to the book of Joshua, which is them crossing over into the Jordan. The rest of your Old Testament, every bit of it, the rest of your Old Testament is describing how they went in, what they did when they got in there, how they rebelled against God, and you have all the prophets talking about all the different ways they were rebellious against God, and they did exactly what He told them they were going to do from the very beginning and laid out specifically here in the book of Deuteronomy. Remember us talking about that? So I wanted you to see here, he's talking about the land, and his eyes are always on that land, and he's, he's also doing all this to confirm the word that he spoke to the... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So now when you look at Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these prophetic parts in here, they're prophesying about the evils of Judah and Israel, the the tribes of Israel, the southern and northern tribes. Listen to what it says here in Jeremiah 3, because now he's talking about what they did. So they went in the land. We've already talked about all these warnings and how he said, this is how you're to remember and remember me and honor me to guard my, guard my word. So in, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6 says, And Yehovah said to me in the days of uh, Yehoshia, it would be Josiah, uh, the king. He says, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there committed whoring. And after she had done all these things, I said, return to me. But she didn't return. And her treacherous sister, Yehuda, Judah, the southern tribe, Judah, saw it. Turn the page, page 5. And I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel, when it says Israel, it's talking about the house of Israel, the ten northern tribes, had committed adultery, and I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. You might want to circle that. Yet her treacherous sister Judah didn't fear, but went and committed whoring too. And it came to be through her frivolous whoring that she defiled, somebody say it for me because it's right there, the land. They did all this stuff and defiled, what did he say? Don't even be attracted to the gold or the silver and bring it into your house. You'll defile your house. It's an abomination to me. So then they took these pagan practices, incorporated it into their worship of Yahovah, and, and did all of these horrible things. And God says, and when you did that, you not only cheated against me as your husband, but you defiled the land. Ouch. Mm-mm-mm. And committed adultery with stones and wood. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Yehuda has not returned to me, here it is, what? With all her heart, but what? Falsely declares Yahovah. So what did they do? 
oh God, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll do right, we'll do right. We'll do, we're, we're, we're gonna, do, we're gonna turn, change our ways. We're really sorry, God. Look, I'm gonna put on my seeds again and I'm gonna wear my prayer shawl and I'm, I'm gonna show up on Shabbat. That's what they, and I'm gonna keep the feast, God. He said, they saw what I did to the northern tribes. Now I'm judging them and they're sort of repenting. You know what they were actually doing? They were actually keeping fellow Israelites as slaves. Slaves, not even just bond servants, but they were making them slaves and not freeing them. God judged them over it. He starts sending Babylon. They start repenting. God pushes Babylon back and they go, man, I'm losing a lot of money now. I want my my slaves back. They're fellow Israelites. And so God's saying, they said they were repenting, but they were false in their heart. And it really angered him. Now then, I want to jump forward because when you get into Isaiah, now he's going to talk about the return of Israel. Israel coming back in the latter days. Because he says, this is what's going to happen, and I'm going to scatter you. Did he do that? He did it with the northern tribes in the 700 B.C. did it with the southern tribe in 586 B.C. Then they came back 70 years later. They rebuilt the temple. And then that's what was there when Yeshua shows up. And then 70 A.D. did it again with Rome. And they haven't been back until 1948, right? But that was just the tip of the iceberg of what's coming. People say, well, he's already, we talked about that last week. Remember that? So I want you to see this because he's now talking about, again, the land right here in this particular part. In Isaiah 49, verses just 14 and 16, he says, But Zion, that's another word for Israel, Mount Zion, or Jerusalem specifically. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. The city and Mount Zion, the temple mount. You following me? And then this is where God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. This is where he says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Anybody ever hear that before and want to personalize that? Right here he's talking about Jerusalem. And he says, I have engraved you on the palms of your, my hands, just so that we know he's talking about Jerusalem. He says, your walls are continually before me. This is really cool as we keep going on. Still in chapter 49, you get to verse 19. And uh, Bammer, and I want you to throw that picture up that I've got there for us, that one. The red part is current Israel. The little cleared out section right above Jordan. I wish I had a pointer. Uh, that's the West Bank 
It's the west side of the Jordan River that Jordan called the West Bank to try to claim the territory. But that red part there is what is now current Israel. The blue line is pretty much, and it's debated a little bit, but the blue line is pretty much the area that God promised Israel. And there's a reason. Because at the end of time, when we all go there, we're going to need more space which is exactly what he's about to tell us. I didn't make that up. It's right here in the prophecy. Verse 19, Surely your waste and your desolated places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants. And those who swallowed you up will be far away the children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, this place is too narrow for me, make room for me to dwell in. He's saying, when it happens and everybody starts flooding there, we're going to go, oh, that's right. The boundary line is really out here. Now watch this. <clears throat> Your Muslim world knows that. They probably know, their, know our Bible a lot better than most Christians, actually, but that's a whole other story. Um, and they don't want Israel there, and they hate Israel because it's demonic. Because God said, this is what I'm going to do, and it's going to be this big. And the world says, oh, no, it's not. And as a matter of fact... You birthed Israel, and we want Israel out because we hate the Jew. And the reason they hate the Jew is because anti-Semitism was born in the pit of hell. That's the short story. Now then, we're still in chapter 49 of Isaiah. While that is up there, this is still in the same chapter. Thus says, and I put this here in the ESV because it is just a little bit easier to understand. It says, thus says the Lord God, watch this, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples. When this is happening, God's going to go, I told you. He goes, I raise, lift up my hand to the nations. That's the key. That you have to read your Bible slow and read it in context. So he's saying, I'm going to lift up my hand to the nations, all the nations in the world that are clamoring against Israel. And it's getting louder and louder and louder. Now look at what it says. This is mind-boggling. And they, the nations, they shall bring your sons in their arms. And your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers. And queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground. They shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. 
then you will know that I am, and I'm going to say it the way it's written, Yahovah. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Now, we've been over this. What has happened will happen. There was one exodus. There's another one still coming because he says when this next one happens, you will not even remember the one with Moses. So here's what's so cool about that. When he said, because he goes, this is my land. When you get into all the prophecies, he says, and I'm going to bring everybody there and to Jerusalem, and I'm going to do business with them because they divided my land. Everybody, it's like everybody that I've heard talk about the Israel problem will not say the truth. Everybody wants to rationalize it. Everybody wants to legislate it. Everybody wants to get people to think more logically. Let's deal with history, blah, 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 blah. All that other stuff. Instead, well, here's the problem. That's God's land. And God said He was going to do something. And He's in the process of doing it. But when He does what He said He's going to do... It's going to look like this. This is what it's going to look like when he does it. And when he does it, it's going to be so powerful that all you high-minded, pious, ruling authorities in the world, just like Pharaoh thought, I don't know your God, and I'll do whatever I want to do. I don't care if you do turn the river red. I don't care if it does get dark. I don't care if fire does come down out of heaven with hail. I don't care if I get covered in boils and frogs and lice and all that. I'm not doing it. And God goes, well, yeah, you're about to do it. Kills the firstborn, and then the the Egyptians beg them to leave. Beg them. Come in my house and take whatever you want. Take whatever spoils, gold, whatever. Just please pillage the land and go. Please go. And God goes, you know what? I'm going to do it again, but the next time it's going to be global. And not only are they going to say, please go, they're going to carry you here. Folks, this is why understanding your Bible is important. Because if you don't understand it, you get sucked into the the black hole that is the news today. Even religious pundits want to talk about all this other stuff. And I've yet to hear somebody say, let's just call it what it is. Nobody has the nerve to do that. Let's call it what it is. This is all God's land, and God said He was going to do this because He's God. And He's making it happen because He is God, and He's going to prove to you that He's He's God, and you're not. And with all of your technology and your AI and everything else, you're not going to become God's. And you're not going to be able to explain this away. It's going to happen. 
And the reason the world is in a whirlwind right now is because you're doing exactly what God said you would do 3,000 years ago. That you would divide his land. And he said, I'm going to give all of this to my people. And Satan hates my people so bad, and he's trying to keep me from fulfilling this prophecy. So I took my people in their sin and went with their seed and scattered them all over the world and said, find them now, dude. Try to wipe them out now. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to make sure that most of them don't even know they're Hebrew. Then I'm going to bring all these others into my kingdom. They're still going to call themselves Gentiles. They don't even understand the words coming out of their mouth. Because it really is an oxymoron. You can't be a Gentile follower of God. Gentile means of the nations, means these other people groups that are worshiping the fallen deities. If you're a follower of God, Yahovah, you are Hebrew, you have crossed over. You've been grafted in. You are the sojourner that he clothes and feeds. When we go to the marriage supper, the only way to get there is with wedding garments. So when you see all this stuff going on, please don't sit there and go, oh no, oh no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Here's what we need to do. You need to be praying for President Trump. And you need to vote. I believe this midterm coming up in November is going to be the most important, critical election in the history of this country. Most important one. There is a spiritual battle going on for your mind and the souls of millions. And I pray that God will cleanse the filth of this nation called abortion. It's an abomination to God. Jimmy Carter just got through saying that if Jesus were here today, he would, he would approve of gay marriage and some abortions. Liberal mindset, that's where that takes you. And once you start down that liberal path, there is no end. There is, it's, it's a rabbit hole that doesn't end. That's why God said, look, I'm God. I made everything. I'm going to tell you what to do for your good. Here's what you need to do so that you don't forget me. Guard what I said. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Guard what I said. As soon as you start playing with what I said, then you're saying, I said something I didn't say. And you've, you've made yourself God. As soon as we start saying, well, that's not what he said. Jesus was just being sarcastic. I've read that in Christian commentaries. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's not really. He was just being sarcastic. The only way you can explain away some of these things. You make yourself out to be God. And you're putting words in God's mouth that he didn't say. And to say that? 
and take away from it and think that God's okay with it? When he's doing this, why? Why is he going to do this? Why is this so stinking important? Because he said he was going to do it. And he didn't say he was going to bring them back, but you know, well, that's the fulfillment of it. Christian people today, people that I follow, read their books, respect them. Say, well, yeah, that's it. 1948, when that happened, that was God bringing back his people from all over the world. Fulfilled. They say that. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, I mean, I know it's important. Massive, because he said, can a nation be born in a day? And it happened. UN, okay, God used them. But that's nothing. And uh, I still think of the exodus with Moses. And nobody's carrying me over there. That hasn't happened yet. Not to my knowledge. Um, and most of us are not really... Was there anybody here that wasn't aware of this before tonight? That it was literally that big? A few? Yeah. It's, it's that big. That's the promised land. The promised land isn't that little spot. The real promised land is all that. It's mapped out. And that's where he's going to take us. That's pretty cool. I'm telling you stuff that can help keep you calm in this chaos. When you understand this and you understand why he's doing this, why he did it, and what he's up to, listen. Every king of every country, God's got it all under control. Every single one. Everyone. Everything that's going on, he understands it all. He knows the people that are just flat out evil. They're going to do what they're going to do. But he's orchestrating everything for one purpose and one purpose only. It's not that just some people are evil, so I'm going to kill them. Some people are good, so I'm going to keep them. And I'm going to keep all the good ones. And I'm going to put the good ones in here. And all the bad ones, I'm going to put them out there. That's how we think, right? Because we're self-centered. That's not God's thought process, I don't believe. It's he's going to honor his name. That's why he says he will be glorified through the just and the unjust. When that happens, God's going to say, I told you. Did I not tell you? Did I not paint you a million pictures? Did I not even give you all these examples with Israel and all these smaller micro pictures and then big ones and prophecies? And how many different times do I have to say it? How many different ways do I have to say it? How many different ways do I have to show you? If we'll just read what he says and stop adulterating the very word of God. It's, just, it's what he said. And he goes, and I'm going to do this. Yes, I love you, but I'm not doing it because I love you. You understand that? He loves us. He's chosen to love us. Therefore, he's doing these things. But the reason he's doing all this is to glorify his name. Because he said, I said I would do it, therefore I'm going to do it. If I say I'm going to do something and I don't do it, then he's not God. That's why if a prophet says that God said something that he didn't say, God goes, he's a false prophet and you need to kill him. Because he profaned my very name and made me out to be a liar.
And so I'm warning him and you, that's one thing you don't want to do. You lose your life. Um, so the world is crazy, amen? But then watch this. But it's really not. Isn't that weird? It just seems like it's unraveling, right? But it's not really unraveling. It's happening exactly the way God said it would happen. And then he said, and I'm even going to uh, send a spirit of delusion. People are going to believe a lie, and they're going to take the truth and make that into a lie, and they're going to say that blue is red, and red is blue, and green is black, and on and on and on, and they're going to say it with a straight face. They're actually going to believe it. It's happening. This is it's, it's crazy, right? You go, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, God said it would be that way. Oh, and then he said he's going to cause Jerusalem to become a couple of trembling to the world. Oh, wow, that's really happening. And then we declare Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and everybody goes nuts. And now Turkey and Jordan, and then you got the Russians, and everybody's in Syria, and Iran are all wanting to obliterate Israel. And Iran has a few hundred, if not thousand, missiles in southern Syria pointing at Israel. And Israel knows they can't stop them all. Iron Dome can't catch all of them. Thermal nuclear war is coming. But it's going to happen there because God's going to settle accounts. There's only one way to survive this. One way. Only one way. It's coming like a freight train. There's only one way to survive it. That's called repentance, walking close to your God, and guarding His Word. Nothing else will work. I don't care how deep you dig your hole. I don't care how much food and ammunition and other kind of garbage you've got. Because if you're not walking with your God... He's going to send a bug that will be vicious. Because if we truly are His and we're not following, He's going to go, well, I guess I'm going to have to make you hungry so that you'll learn that you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of my mouth. That's why guarding his word is so important. Does this start to make some sense? So here's my, I'm 62. I'm tired of learning lessons the hard way. I've, I've, I, okay, I've been behind the woodshed plenty of times. I'm like, I don't want to go back there no more, <laughs> right? So it's like when I'm seeing it in his word, I'm like, okay, God. And I'm, I'm not joking. It's like I feel like I'm repenting every night running around all the time, just almost crying, begging God, please forgive me for all of my stupidity, all of my ignorance, all my arrogance, all my junk. I just I want to glorify your name, Lord. I just want to glorify you. That's it. I got nothing else. Just want to glorify you. Yeshua came to do what? To deal with that certificate of divorce so that we could be remarried. Powerful, powerful story. God loves you so much. Here's what we think. We're all going to die. We're all going to go to heaven. We're going to spend forever in some other sphere floating in the sky. Uh, You know, I don't know. 
windsurfing on a cloud. You know, I, I don't know what it is that we think we're going to be doing up there. But you know what the Scripture says? We're going to what? We're going to have a resurrected body. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And where are we going to be living? Hmm. A place where God has His eye on it. We didn't have time to chase it because there's so much in here, but it reminded me of my property. I've been on black, this black gumbo garbage my whole life. Makes me nuts. But God said, this place, He goes, it's not like when you were down here in Egypt and a land that you had to irrigate. He goes, but this land that I've picked is a rocky, hilly land that drinks up the rain. The former rains and the latter rains. And it's going to flow and it's, it's going to be great. You're not going to have to irrigate it. So when he makes the new heaven and new earth, everything's going to get restructured. We'll be back in Eden. Back in Eden. That's where we're headed. But what we don't think about is it's a real place. Kind of hard to wrap your brain around, but it's a real place. And we'll have glorified bodies that won't die, won't get old. Hopefully they don't get bald. I hope my glorified body isn't bald. Um, But we'll have glorified bodies and we'll reign and rule with Him declaring for all of eternity He really is God. And He really did everything He said He was going to do. And He's letting me be here and a part of His divine counsel and He's letting me reign and rule with Him on this earth, turning the rest of the world into a total utopian Eden planet. Are you kidding me? Forever? Yeah. Because He made you and I to be a reflection of His image. And when He created us, He said, it is very good.